My name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. No series on the family would be complete without a talk about parenting. So that's what we're going to talk about. And here we go. Let's face it. Parenting is the hardest job that you'll ever have. However, it's probably the most important job you'll ever have with regard to the impact you can make in the future. As consequential as this job is, or will be for some of you who don't have children yet, but we'll have them, uh, it's a job that we come to very ill-prepared for. And most of our learning is going to be on-the-job training. J.R. Williams once quipped, he said, and I quote, it's weird all those parenting books my wife made me read, and not one ever hinted that I had to re- I'd have to remind my son not to touch the dog's butthole. So... Uh, <laughs> No matter what I say today, no matter if you happen to learn anything through this instruction, nothing is going to replace your day-to-day training that you're going to get or your day-to-day instruction you're going to get with the hands-on of actually being, being a parent. However, that being said, I really do believe that the things that I have to say this morning can be helpful to you in your parenting, and uh, I'm praying that, that they will be. I'm going to divide this talk into three parts. And we won't finish it today. We'll finish it next Sunday. But the three parts are going to be this, the blessing of parenting. And then I'm going to talk about the goal of parenting. And then finally, I'm going to share with you the means of parenting. So let's begin with the blessing of parenting. Psalm 127 verse 3 says, children are a gift from God. They are his reward. The psalmist says that children are a blessing from God, that they're something that he gives to us to reward us, if you would, uh, in our lives. In John chapter 16, Jesus talking about his own death and resurrection, he compares it to labor. And he says, you know, when I'm gone, when I come back, it's going to be like this. This is verse 21. It will be the same joy as that of a woman in labor when her child is born. Her anguish gives place to rapturous joy and the pain is forgotten. Jesus says that having a child is like having rapturous, it produces rapturous joy to the parent or to the parents. In Proverbs 17, verse 6, we read that an an old man's grandchildren are his crowning glory. A child's glory is his father. Now, most of us intuitively know, don't we, that children, for those of us who follow Jesus especially, we know that intuitively children are a gift from God that there's something that blesses our life. And yes, let me say, they are hard. And yes, let me add that they demand a great deal of sacrifice from you. Comedian Ray Romano said, and I quote, everyone should have kids. They're the greatest joy in the world. We've established that. But he goes on, but they are also terrorists. You'll realize as soon as they're born that they start using sleep deprivation to break you. Let me give you three reasons this morning why I believe God says that children are a blessing from him, that they're his gift to us. And there could have been more things you could say, but I want to give you three that I think the scripture substantiate. The first one is this. You get to experience unconditional love. You get to experience unconditional love receiving it, and you get to experiencing it giving it. Let's talk about giving it first. I don't understand it. I can't explain it. But when that little one arrives in the world, and it's, it's your little one, I mean, there's just something that happens in your life, but you can't help but love 
that little one. I wasn't there for, for most of their girls being born, but I was there when Abigail was born. We were here at the office, and, and Kelly and Mike's last little girl was on the way, and he got the phone call, and I went over there with him. And, uh, you know, I got to sit in the other room with the other girls while Michael went and delivered Abigail in, in the bedroom. And the thing I want to tell you about is when he came out of the bedroom, and when he came out of the bedroom, I remember noting it. It made an indelible impression on me. There was such love in Michael's face for that little girl that had just been, uh, been born. No matter how many dirty diapers we have to change, no matter how many crying nights we have, we can't explain it. But we just absolutely love that little child. And it's an unconditional love. I mean, we just love them regardless. They really don't do anything for us. But especially in the early days, just, you know, they just deliver packages that we have to put in the garbage and they cry a lot and they don't do much at all, right? But we just, we can't stop looking at them because we just love them in such a way. And it's not just unconditional love that I get to give, but it's unconditional love that I get to receive because of that little one. I think this is why they're they're a gift from God. Because they just love us unconditionally. They think we hung the moon and they trust us. At the beginning, they trust us just absolutely to the end. They love to snuggle with us and, and, and they love to help us. This past week, I, I was helping Matt a little bit and Sam was with us. And at every turn, Sam wanted to help us do something that we were doing. Well, I, one of my greatest joys when my children were little was they would love to sit in my lap and, and have me read to them, or they would love to sit in my lap and, and snuggle with me. And, and one of the hardest things was as they got older and they didn't want to do that anymore. They didn't want to be with me. But in those early days, I mean, they didn't want to sit in my lap anymore, you know. I mean, I get it. A 16-year-old sitting in your lap is <laughs> probably not a good thing. But, uh, but knowing unconditional love, I mean, I knew unconditional love because those little children blessed me. I mean, they loved me. Here's another reason why children are a blessing from the Lord, is they give me an opportunity to impact the future. I get to send my children out into the future, and I get to touch the world with my kids. That Psalm 127 passage that says that children are a blessing from the Lord, it also says that they're like arrows in a warrior's, in a warrior's uh, quill. Is that right? Like, you know, they're, what is it? Quiver. That's it. Thank you. Quill. Quill is one thing you write with. Sorry. Um, Oh, what does that mean? <laughs> anyway, a quiverful. So they're like, they're like arrows that I get to send into the future far from me, and they get to impact the future for me. I'll tell you what, I'm hopeful, and I pray for this, you know, pretty regularly, that my children and my children's children will impact the world for good all around me. I mean, that was always my hope for my children, and it's my hope for my, my grandchildren as well. And you know, and if, and if Wit and Charlie and Benaya, if they actually change the world in the future, I'm going to have had a part in that because I got to lead Caleb and Libby and Ethan and Katie and Shepard and Joy. I got to lead them in such a way that they came to have a relationship with Jesus that changed their life. So you see, I'll have a part in whatever impact my children and my children's children have on the future of this this world. You know, when Shep died, you know, we found out that he prioritized people, not something that we necessarily knew, but so many people told us that, that, that he 
prioritized relationships, and he loved people. And I'd like to think that he loved people like Jesus did. And I'd like to also think that, you know, one day I'll find out that Ann and I had a part in Shep becoming the man that he became with regard to loving people and loving relationships. Children are a blessing for, for several reasons. That's two. I get to impact the future with them. And I get to experience unconditional and give unconditional love to others. The third reason I wrote down why children might be a blessing to us or children are a blessing to us is that because we have this lifelong relationship with these other human beings, a lifelong relationship of love and care, where I have loved and cared for them and they are going to love and care for me. One of the Ten Commandments that God gave Israel, you know which one I'm referring to, I'm sure if you're thinking, you can think much faster than I can talk, is, is the command where it says, honor your fathers and your mothers as long as you're alive. And, and the word to honor them means to love them and appreciate, and it means to care for them. When God gives you children, he's blessing you with these other human beings that are going to care for you and, and love you. In fact, God says this, if you don't care for your parents, and those of you that have children, don't forget that you've got parents too, especially if they're still living, right? That, that you, if you don't care for your parents, if you don't love them, you're worse than someone who doesn't even know or believe that God exists. Why is that? Because God says, you know, even people who don't even believe I exist often care for their families and care for their parents. And if you can't do that, and you know me, then, then you're worse than someone who doesn't even know that I exist or doesn't even believe that I exist. So, that, that, is, that is the blessing of parenting, okay? They are a gift from the Lord. Here's the goal of parenting. So what is it? What is our objective in parenting? Is it that I raise children that love me, love my wife, love, love my family, and that work hard and that treat others nicely? Well, let me say up front, hey, I really want, that's a goal I had for my children. I had that goal for my children, we homeschooled our children. I had one big goal for homeschooling. I've told you. It was that Ann teach them to read. That was the only thing. Because I figured if, if we taught them to read, they could educate themselves at some point in the future. So, man, I tell you, when we started out homeschooling, I was so scared that we wouldn't be able to teach them to read. But Ann did a good job. They can all read. And uh, I also had some other goals, too. I, I had a goal of teaching them to look people in the eye. And when they greeted them, especially my sons, I had a goal that they would firmly shake the hand of the guy that they were greeting. And they, they would look that guy in the eye. And I had the same goal for my daughters that they would, you know, look. This is in our culture. This is a good thing. That they would look at the person that they were greeting. And for my boys, I wanted them to have a firm handshake. So that was a goal. I had a goal of teaching my boys to shake hands like that. I had other little goals like... Um, you know, I had, let's see, what other goals did I have? Well, let me move on. I had lots of little goals, but, but I had one overarching goal. I had one all-encompassing goal. And here was my main goal. For my, I even wrote it in a mission statement for myself. It was so that I, my goal was to introduce my children to Jesus and to lead my children to follow and love Jesus. That was my overarching goal. I, I really didn't care whether, uh, you know, what happened to my children, but as far as all the externals were concerned, I just wanted them to follow and love Jesus. Now here, I shared this verse a couple of weeks ago, but in Malachi, here's what God tells us is the principal goal of marriage. He says in chapter 2, verse 15 of Malachi, and what does God want from marriage? It was so you would have children and then lead them to become God's people. So guard the spirit of marriage within you. Don't cheat on your spouse. I hate divorce, says the God of Israel. 
Now, the part that I want you to notice is that he says, I want your marriage to produce children where they love me and they love God. They follow after God. That is the goal. That's what I want you to do with your marriages. That's the big goal in leading your sons and daughters. It's that simple and it's that important. And my prayer for them growing up was always this, Father, let them love you. Let them come to know you. Let them consequentially follow you. I didn't care Listen, I didn't care whether my sons and daughters became rich. Obviously, I I didn't want them living in poverty. I wanted them to have good jobs and work hard. Uh, I didn't didn't care what their jobs were. I I just, I wanted them to love Jesus above everything else. Now, I'll be honest, I really wanted my boys to, to follow, you know, my lead in vocational ministry. But honestly, I would tell the Lord all the time, Lord, I don't care what they do. I don't care if they go to ministry or not. I I just want them to whatever they're doing, whether they're being a doctor, whether they're being a a shipyard worker, whether they're being whatever. I just want them to make Jesus the center of their lives. That was my goal. That was my prayer. And here was my prayer too. Listen carefully. I did not want my sons and daughters to become nominally committed to Jesus. Jesus. And that's where we find most of the church today, even those of us that really know Jesus and that are not culturally Christians. I'm talking about people that would claim to be Christians. We call them nominal, we call them nominal or, or carnal. I did not want my children to become anything like that. I wanted them to follow Jesus with all their heart. And to quote uh, Nathan from the men's conference, who was quoting someone else, I wanted Jesus to be the sun around which all the planets of their lives circled. I wanted Jesus to be at the center of their lives so that their children, their jobs, their hobbies, their their desires, everything revolved around Jesus. And that was my prayer. And that, beloved, is the goal of parenting. That that needs to be your overarching goal. And um, let let me just ask you, how many of you can honestly say, that is my overarching goal? That is the thing that drives my parenting. Can can I tell you that too often that's just one of the many goals we have for our children? And listen, I'm not saying that's the only goal. I'm saying that has to be the central, all-encompassing goal. But we have all kinds of other goals. And can I suggest to you that all too often, listen, and maybe you say I'm going to go to meddling here, but I mean, I've lived through this. If we're not careful, we can make our kids being the best ball player the goal of of our parenting. I want my kid to be the best baseball player. I want him to be the best soccer player. I want him to be the best basketball player. I don't care. You pick the sport. And by the way, you introduce your kids to the sports that you really want them to play. I guarantee you most of you are not taking your kids to swim class, but if you'd been a swimmer, most likely you'd find some place to introduce your children to swimming to see whether they would like swimming like you did, right? Again, I'm not, I'm, I'm not saying any of this is bad. And if it, the goal isn't sports, the goal is academics. I want my child to be the best student they can be. Or I want my child to be a hard worker. Or my goal is I want my child to be well-mannered. Can I tell you, I really kind of had all of those goals for my children. I wanted my boys to be the best player on the team. I want them to work for it. I wanted them to work hard. I, I wanted all of these things. But I tell you, I never, ever, I think before God, I never lost the fact that the center goal of my parenting was that they would love Jesus more than anything else and that they would follow him. And if that's not your center goal, parent, listen to me, you're messing up. You're choosing the wrong thing. And, and I don't, listen, 
Philosophically, you can be sitting there shaking your head and saying, yeah, yeah, that's my goal, that's my goal. But practically, you can be making some other goal, the all-encompassing goal for your children. So you've got to make your practice match your philosophy. You with me? I mean, I'm, so, I'm, I'm so right, and I know it sounds arrogant, but I'm so right in what I'm saying. Here's the, here's the third, let's move to the third part of this talk, the means of parenting. And this is where it's going to get long, and this is why I had to divide this message into two weeks. So uh, how do we reach that goal of, of our children loving Jesus above everything else and following after him? So before I get into the means that the Bible has given us that are helps in our parenting, I want to lay down a bedrock principle that, that is going to impact this goal. And uh, listen, I, I listen. There's there's exceptions to every rule, and everything that I give you, there's we are. I personally believe we're autonomous creatures, and I believe that I, I you know, just because I follow Jesus, it is not an absolute uh, promise of God, 100% that my children will always follow Jesus. And if you happen to be a scoundrel, there's not a 100% chance that your children are going to turn out to be scoundrels too. They might come to know Jesus and follow after Jesus in spite of you. And sometimes in spite of us and our parenting, our children may decide not to follow Jesus. But here is a principle that I want you to get, all right? You get in parenting what you are as a parent. You get in parenting who you are. You're going to pass on your persona a whole lot more than you're going to pass on what you try to say with your words. Again, don't misunderstand. I think your words are very, very, very important, as we'll talk about. But you know what? Your, your children are going to be impacted by who you are more than by what you say. And if you think you can differentiate these things like, hey, do what I, do what I say, not what I do. If you think you can say that and somehow your children are going, oh, yeah, I'm going to follow after what you say, they're going to follow after what you are. And, and so you just need to be aware of this. When I was in my country music phase 15 years ago, I think it was, one of my favorite songs was Watching Me. And I think it was because I was in the parenting mode back then. I don't remember who the singer is. I should have looked it up. But in this song, he talked about taking his son to McDonald's. And they're coming home, and he has to slam on the brakes. And the little boy's french fries go flying. And, uh, and, and the singer says, and my son let out a four-letter word. And he looks over at his boy and says, son, where'd you learn to talk like that? And this is how the chorus goes. He said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't it cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow up tall as you are. We like fixing things and holding Mama's hand. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. So dads, and not just dads, but moms, kids are watching you. And they're going to they're gonna, they're gonna be who they see you to be more than who you tell them to be with, with your words. And again, there are exceptions to this. I'm not trying to put anybody under any kind of guilt. I, I, am, just, I am trying to say, though, here, this is, it's so very important that you be what I'm going to challenge you to be because this is where parenting takes place. It's, it's in the persona to the persona, not so much, although words are crucial, as we'll see. Okay, So what are the means of parenting towards godliness. I'm going to give you two positive means. I'm going to give you one negative mean. I'm only going to deal with one positive mean this morning, and we'll, we'll come back next week and deal with the other positive and the negative. 
So, uh, so let me jump in with the positive mean. What, what is the first positive mean of leading your children, parenting your children to know and love Jesus above everything else? Well, it's, this is it. Simple. It's simply love. 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 That's how you parent your children to Jesus. You love them. And when I say love, I mean love as a feeling, and I mean love as an action. I mean love as, as an emotion, and I mean love as an attitude. All right? So... Let me explain this as we go along. So when I say love like that, action and, uh, and feeling, if you would. So I want to read 1 Corinthians 13, 4, because I'm going to come back to it several times. But here's what Paul said love is. Love is patient. You know this passage really well. Love is patient. Most of you know this passage really well. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. So when I talked about unconditional love earlier, this is what I was talking about, giving it and receiving it. Here's four ways you convey love to your children. And you need to have make sure all four of them are just paramount in your life. Here's, here's the first one. The first one is presence. Here's how you show love to your children. This is how you love your children. And I'm calling it presence. And what I mean by presence is that you're with them. That you're going to be with them. That you're not going to leave them. Remember Jesus told his disciples, I'm with you. I'm with you in this all the way to the very end. Paul, writing for, through the Holy Spirit, talking about Jesus, says, uh, I, I'm going to be with you. Nothing can separate you from my love. Nothing, not, not death, nor life, nor powers, nor principalities, not bad things and good things. Nothing can separate you from my love because I am with you always. Now, Jesus isn't here physically, but Jesus is here with us in his spirit. He's in me, with me. He's never leaving me. He's, gonna walk. He's walking with the Lane family now. He's, walk, he's walking with us in whatever we go through, all right? Now, I think presence means two things. So here's the first that I think presence means. Presence means you're not leaving their dad. And presence means you're not leaving their mom as much as it depends on you. Now, I realize it doesn't always depend on you. Sometimes, sometimes people, um, I mean, you can't stop your spouse from leaving. I get that. You, you can't stop your spouse from beating you physically. And, uh, and I think that's a time to leave. But uh, as much as it depends on you, you are not leaving. Because your children, your children are in the mix. Your children are in the mix. So here's a song by John Meyer. And uh, it was entitled Daughters. It was very popular a decade or more ago. Some of you may remember it. I, I didn't remember it. I had to go and listen to it. Maybe it's because I wasn't, I wasn't just listening to just any kind of music back then. But in this song, this man's falling in love with this woman. And it's not going well. He, he just can't figure her out. She's not able to, re- she wants to be with him, but she can't return his love. She, she, she's just a mess. And he, does, he thinks it's all about him. And then he realizes It's not about him, but it's about the first man in her life. It's about her father. Her father left her when she was just a little girl. I guess left her mother, left her. It was a critical time in this little girl's life. And in this song, as John Meyer writes it, he says, 
You know, years later, this little girl, now grown up, is being haunted and affected by the things that her daddy did. And again, I mean, I'm not, I'm not trying to absorb the girl of some response. I know it's just a song. But I'm not. If, in real life, I wouldn't absolve people of, of their responsibility to fix what's broken. But the point of the song was, dads, moms, consider the impact that you're making on your children because decisions that you make to not be there carry ramifications in the future for your children. And he goes on to talk about how we all, t- we all play a part in our children's development. And parents, you do that by by being present, by not leaving your hubby or not leaving your wifey. I mean, if we can be a hubby, you can be a wifey, right? So, <laughs> but by, by, and listen, I know sometimes we struggle, but you both follow Jesus. I'm, I'm talking to you believers here. I'm not talking to people who aren't following Jesus. I'm talking to us. Listen, as difficult as it gets and as much as you may struggle, you both are indwelt by the Spirit of God. You're both following Jesus. You both can work on this, and you can fix it. And you can let God restore your love. Maybe it won't be as perfect as you imagined in your mind, but you can fix this. And you can fix it, and you can, and you can, and you can make a strong impact on your children. And I know some people listening either on the live stream or maybe even in this room are saying, Jimmy, you shouldn't say things like that because... You know, what if somebody's in a terrible marriage? There are, there are, there are situations that, that I believe would demand something different. But for most of us, it's not the case. It's not the case. And so work on it by the power of God. But here's the second thing. Presence means not just that you don't leave, but presence means you're there in your children's lives. And you're spending time with them. So most of us remember, those of us that are older, especially, like I was talking to Michael, he'd heard this song, but he didn't know what it was about. So I guess if you're 35 and under, you might not remember this song. But anyway, Harry Chapin wrote a song, Cats in the Cradle and the Silver Spoon. Remember that? If you don't know the song, here's the point of the song. There's this dad and his son, and his son says, Dad, can you come out and play ball with me? And his dad says, oh, son, I'm really busy. I can't do it now, but we'll do it later. And then he's off. And, and then the tagline is, and the, dad, and the boy says, man, I want to be just like him. I want to be just like him. And then there's something else the boy wants to do. And the dad says, oh, we'll get to it. We can't do it today because I'm so busy. Tagline, the boy says, oh, but I want to be just like him. And then as the song progresses, dad's got more time. And he calls up his son and he says, son, hey, you want to hang out? And the son says, oh, dad, we'll do it. I can't do it right now because I'm really busy. We'll do it tomorrow. And, uh, and then that happens a couple of times. And the final tagline of the song is the dad says, because he said, I want to be just like you. The, the tagline is, the dad says, oh man, he's become just like me. Probably only twice in your life you'll have a sermon interrupted by a commercial, but watch this commercial. <laughs> My child arrived just the other day. He came to the world in a usual way, but there were planes to catch bills to pay so i moved my meat and saw him walk that day he was talking for a new it and as he grew he say i'm gonna be like you dad you know i'm gonna be like you my son turned 10 just the other day he said thanks for the ball that 
come on, let's play. Can you teach me to throw? I said right away. I got stuff to do, but that can wait today. And he ran outside and smiled ear to ear and said, I'm gonna be like you, Dad. You know I'm gonna be like you. Well, he came home from college just the other day. He said, I can't thank you enough for paying my way. What I really like, Dad, is to borrow the car keys, take you to dinner and discuss my dreams. Soon we'll retire, our son's well on his way. He came by with a question just the other day. Need your advice, Dad, with what to do when I become a father just like you. Become a father just like you. And the cat's in the cradle and the silver spoon. Little boy blue and the man on the moon. When you're coming home, Dad, I'll be home in ten. And we'll get together then. You know we'll have a good time then. I thought I was kidding. <laughs> I tell you what, I, I just, it makes me cry. Because I want to tell you something, dads. That's what presence, moms, that's what presence means. I wanted to be that dad. I wanted to give my time to my children. So I didn't golf, and I didn't do all kinds of other things that, that I could have done that are not bad. But I prioritized my children. And so I want to challenge you dads in the means of leading your children to love Jesus above everything else. Be present in their lives. Be present by not leaving. Moms, be present by not leaving. But be present by being in their lives. By spending time with them. By, by giving yourself to them. Here's the second. Affirmation. Here's how we love. Affirmation. And by this I mean encouragement and building up. Gary Chapman was the person who put the words affirmation in a book called The Five Languages of Love. And, but I would, I would tell you, God would agree with this book, but God said it first. Here's God to Jeremiah, talk, talking to Israel. The Lord appeared to me from a far away and said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued to extend faithful, faithful love to you. That's God speaking to Israel. Here through the prophet Isaiah, even better. Jenny, this was the text for your, for your wedding. But now, O Israel, the Lord who created you says, do not be afraid for I've ransomed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you go through the deep waters in the great trouble, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you. And then this is my favorite part. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You are precious to me. You are honored. And I love you. So dads, moms, when was the last time you said that to your children? You are precious to me. Oh, I love you. When was the last time you just looked at your little child in the face or your grown adult child in the face? When was the last time you took your 20-year-old's cheeks in your hands and said, look at me in the eye, I love you? Remind me to do that. Gary didn't invent the words affirmation, but he was the one that encouraged us to say things like, I'm proud of you, son. Oh, honey, you are what you just did today. Sweetie, that was, that was so like Jesus. I am so, I'm so 
joyfully, you're my daughter. I'm so pleased with how you follow Jesus. When, when was the last time we did that? Listen, this is how we love our children. We affirm them with our words. So I'm going to ask you, parent, are you affirming or are you critical? Are you somebody who's always got something negative to say about your children rather than the positive things? Listen, there's a place for correction, but there's not a place for you to be fussing all the time. There's not a place for you to always pointing out the detriment. I mean, listen, even if your children have some detriments, when they do good, I mean, words of affirmation show love to those children. So you affirm them in the good things. Here's the third thing. That was a lot faster than the first one, wasn't it? Here's the third one. Presence and, uh, and then affirmation. Here's attitude. With affirmation, I was talking about the words that you use. Again, I'm not minimizing words, but listen, affirmation without attitude, and by attitude, I mean the spirit behind your words. I'm talking about your heart. If your heart isn't loving towards your children, if you don't lose the harshness and the rancor, if you don't lose that, you're going to lose your children, and you're definitely not going to communicate to your children this love that God has for them. So let's go back to God's description from, uh, from 1 Corinthians 13. Did you catch these words? Love is kind. Love is patient. These are all in the list. Love is not rude. Love is not irritable. Listen, folks, I get it. I raised six children until they were young adults. And all six of them, I remember they can stomp on your nerves. I mean, and then they grind their heel in it. And then they take a knife and they slice that same nerve. You ever notice that? They can do that. I get it. But, but no matter how you're screaming in agony, you can't scream in agony at your children. I understand it. You tuck them in and say, see you in the morning. And you see them 16 more times before the sun comes up. I get that. Michael Tuck tells me that all the time. I understand you want to scream at them and threaten to kill them. I watch Ann do that day after day. I'm kidding. Sorta. Sorta. Yet love doesn't do that. There's a better way. Seriously, everyone, love has this particular demeanor. It's an attitude of gentleness. And it's an attitude of kindness. And it's an attitude of grace. And listen, don't misunderstand those words for being a disciplinarian or for holding truth, or expecting a certain behavior from your children. I'm not, I'm, not, it's not, I'm not juxtaposing those. But I am saying that there needs to be this, this attitude about us that is just affirming, and is, and I already talked about affirming with words, that, that our attitude affirms and loves our children. You know? And uh, parents, listen to me. Screaming at your children is a denigration. Screaming at your children is communicating not love, something other than love when you're screaming at your children. Don't scream at your children. There's a better way. I'm going to talk about that next week. There's a much better way. It's a means of God's grace in parenting our children. So if you want to know what that is, I'll talk about it next week. But, but you know, this harsh screaming at your children, and I hear a lot of people, I, I know a lot of parents do that. You know, um, it needs to stop. We need to not parent that way. And then the final thing is affection. In Romans chapter 12, 9 through 10, Paul, Paul writes this. He says, Let love be without hypocrisy. 
Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in brotherly love, give preference to one another in honor. Now the word there, brotherly love, it's, it's used only that one time in your Bibles. It's the Greek word storge. Now there's compound words of it throughout the scripture in the New Testament, but this is the only time the word's used like this. And uh, so what, what that word means, it, different from phileo or agape or eros, those are three other Greek words for love. This love is the kind of tender affection that family members have for one another. It's one of those things that we observe anecdotally in life, that parents have this affection for their children, and children generally have this affection for their parents. And so Paul uses that word, and he says, listen, us in this room, we're to have that kind of affection for one another, like, like brothers and sisters and parents and children. That's the kind of love that we're to have for each other as a part of this family. Storge ought to, ought to be illustrated by our love for each other. But my point is that Paul uses that word storge for brotherly affection, for the kind of love that we have in our family, to say that's how we need to be in the church. He's assuming it. He's assuming it and believing it uh, in the family. And so we see this kind of affection throughout the New Testament and Old Testament. For instance, Genesis 29, uh, 11, verses 11 and th- through 13, Jacob, Rachel, and her father are greeting one another, exchanges kisses and embraces, and loving affection upon greeting one another. Genesis 48, 10, Joseph's father, when he sees his grandchildren, it says he takes them near into his arms and he kissed them and embraced them. In 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 41, David and his friend Jonathan see each other, maybe for the last time. I mean, these two brothers, I mean, they, they weren't brothers, but they loved each other as brothers. And they, they, one of them bowed to the ground. David bowed to the ground before Jonathan three times, and they kissed one another and wept with one another. In the New Testament, we see Jesus. He takes a child into his arms. Taking him into his arms, he welcomes his child, and he says, you know, if you're going to be part of my kingdom, you've got to be like, like this little child. But the part I want you to note is that he took him in his arms. And I don't know exactly what that means, whether Jesus is sitting and he put the boy or girl on his knee and just hugged him as he talked, or if he just stood the child in front of him, put his arms around him, but it says he embraced him. He showed physical affection. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. You remember that? The boy finally comes to his mind, and then it says, when the son was still a long way off, the father saw him and was filled with compassion and ran and threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And I mean, I just got a picture of that. This Tad just holding on to his son for dear life because he's back and he's kissing him. Acts chapter 20, verse 37 says that when Paul leaves the church at Ephesus, the elders are embracing him. They're hugging him and they're kissing him and they're grieving over the statement that they say, that he said they'll never see their face again. I'm not sure when we discovered the effects of, of um, the, the effects of not having affection, the effects of not having affection. I think it was probably back in the 1980s. Uh, but uh, in the 20th century, you know, Romania was falling apart when the, when the Soviet Union was falling apart. And they discovered that in Romania, there's all these orphanages, and there were so many children in the orphanages and no adults to take care of them. And so these children would be left in their, in their pens, play pens, or no, cribs, their cribs with not anybody touching them, with not anybody holding them. And what they discovered was these children were greatly damaged, emotionally damaged. They, they couldn't connect. They didn't know how to make, they didn't know how to have relationships with anyone because there had been no affection. Since then, studies in 2010 by Duke, 2013 UCLS, UCLA, 
2015, Notre Dame, they all did studies about this. One of these studies took 500 people over 30 years. And here's where the conclusion that all three studies made, that children with very affectionate and attentive parents, moms in particular, you know, grew up to be happier, more resilient, and less anxious adults. So if you want to help your children love God, you, you've got to be affectionate with them. You've got to show them storge love. And what I mean by that is you've got to hold them. And you've got to hug them and give them attention and kiss them and whisper in their ears that you love them. I was having dinner with a young couple in our church who has two little ones, and I, I watched Daddy whisper in his son's ears, and I knew what I was going to say, and I thought, oh, that's so cool. Of course, he was telling him, straighten up or you're going to get it. But, um, <laughs> but I tell you, even that, even that whisper of straighten up, son, or whatever he was whispering in his son's ear, I'm telling you, that's conveying to that boy affection. Horseplay with them. Pick up their shirts and blow on their stomach when they're just little ones. I see Michael Lane do that all the time with a little gathering. Kiss their feet. I watched my daughter kiss Charlie's feet the other day and talk about how stinky they were. Rub noses with your children. I'm talking about just be affectionate with, be affectionate with your children. And, and I don't mean once in a blue moon, a moon. I don't mean just every once in a while. I mean do it often, guys. And by the way, as your children get older... I mean, obviously the affection needs to change at some level. You know, you can't blow on your teenage daughter's tummy anymore, you know. And you probably don't want to rub noses with your 18-year-old son, unless you're an Eskimo. But, uh, so your affection has to change, but be affectionate. I still kiss my children. I determined I was always going to kiss my children. So I kiss my sons and I kiss my daughters. And until the day I die, I'll continue to kiss them. And you say, well, Jimmy, I'm not a touchy sort of guy. You know, I didn't grow up that way. And I say, I'm sorry for you. I really am. But get over yourself. This really isn't about you anymore. It's about you being a parent. And it's about what you need to do to love your children in such a way that your children will love God and, and want to follow Jesus and prioritize, and prioritize Jesus. And, and so it's not about you. It's about loving your child. The affection came easy for me. I guess because my parents were affectionate. I don't know. If it doesn't come easy for you, I am so sorry. But it's time for you dads to dad up. And it's time for you moms to mom up when it comes to this affection issue. You need to repent if that's not you. It's time for you to start, in Jesus' name, being affectionate with your children. Now, let me tell you why loving your children is going to... Because if you're thinking, you're probably saying, Okay, yeah, Jimmy, I get it. i got to love my kids. But what does that have to do with leading them to Jesus? How does loving my children lead my children to love God? Well, I'm going to tell you right now. I want you to listen. I told you a couple of weeks ago that God gave children a dad and a mom because the image of God is inculcated in both male and female. And so for your children to get that complete picture of who God is, they need both moms and dads in their lives so they can see who God really is. So when you as a couple, as a mom and dad are parenting and love is the means by which you parent them and prioritize them, when you love them, let me tell you what you're doing. You're giving them a picture of who God is. You're giving them this picture that God really loves them that God really cares about them. I don't know how it happened to me because I, I listen to a lot of people when they do something wrong, excuse me, 
when something bad happens to them, this is what they think. Oh, God doesn't love me right now. God's mad at me right now. I tell you what, no matter how I've ever screwed up, I've never felt like God didn't love me. Never. And I don't know that I can say mom and dad are responsible for that, but, but when you love your children, you are showing them what God is like. And when you are loving them in these means, in these ways that, that we have identified either biblically or just anecdotally, this is how you love your children so they feel secure in your you are You are letting them know what God is like. You are letting them know that God loves them. Parenting is the most important job you'll ever have. I mean, I believe that with all my heart. And it's such a blessing for you to be a parent if you are one. I mean, you're able to affect the future. You're able to know and experience what it is to be unconditionally loved and and to give unconditional love. And the goal of your raising those children is that they might follow Jesus. No guarantees. No guarantees. You can do everything right. You can love them. You can do all the things we'll talk about next Sunday. and, And they still may not follow Jesus. But no guarantees. But I'm telling you, how we parent pours into effects, touches, that goal that we have. So today, we've talked about one positive means to lead your children to know Jesus, to love and follow Jesus, and that is that you love them. You love them to follow Jesus. So parents, let's go to work. Grandparents, let's help them. You know, I'm not out of the picture. I'm not, I can't, I don't influence my children much. I can influence my children much, but I'm not parenting my, my five children anymore. I'm not parenting them. But I can be an influence in their lives. But you know what? I can come alongside my children and I can help them as they parent Wit, Benaya, Wit, and we'll go by age, Benaya, Wit, and Charlie. And little dudes getting here in a couple months. Let's pray together. Father, on behalf of all of us who've had the great pr- privilege and pleasure of being parents, we just thank you. Thank you, Lord, for creating such an incredible world and, uh, and, and for giving us families, Lord. Like I said a couple of weeks ago, families are your gift to us. It's a, it's a great thing that you did, Lord. And I thank you for giving us the, the ideal way in which to parent a husband and a wife committed to each other for a life, working on that relationship so it's satisfying and and pleasing and giving life to each other so that in turn we're giving life to our children. Lord, thank you for that. Father, I pray for us this morning that today's talk would have been encouraging. Lord, that it would have encouraged us with the possibilities of the future, with encouraging us with the hope, Lord, that, that our lives and our parenting can affect our children and help our children love you and follow you and prioritize you. Lord, I also pray that today has been convicting and challenging and that, Lord, we'll walk out of here this morning, not with our heads held low or bowed down under failure, Lord, but that we would forget what lies behind and press forward to the future. That, Lord, even today might be a day of reexamining our own parenting if we're in the middle of it and maybe asking, what do we need to do better? What do we need to change? How can I love more? What do I need to do to love my children with... um, with presence and affirmation and attitude and affection. What do I need to do different? Lord, show us, teach us. Here we are, Lord, we're your sons and daughters. Teach us, we pray. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. And before you go, just a reminder, I want to try to remind us always of this. I'm not talking about picking ourselves up by our bootstraps. 
I'm talking about, listen, being dependent on the Spirit of God who lives within us, and He'll help us do this. He'll help us parent the way that uh, He wants us to. He will energize you if you look to Him. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.